together, shall we? God, we want to give you thanks and praise that there is only a God like you. You're the one true God. You're the only God who's worthy of our praise and of our hope and of our faith. God, you have demonstrated your love for us so clearly in sending your son Jesus to come and to live a sinless life, an example for us to follow. And yet, God, you sent your son not only to come and live, but to die, to die for our sins, to die on the cross. And as we come to this Good Friday service coming up and this time to remember all that you have done, God, we we just pray that our hearts would be prepared to remember the great sacrifice that you have made. God, as we gather today around your table in a few moments, we want to never forget the great things that you have done for us in taking our sin, in dying on the cross for us. God, that would just be a, a terrible story if it wasn't for Easter Sunday. You're rising again. You're conquering death. You're making our forgiveness uh, actual something that you have, you have conquered sin and now you've declared us righteous. God, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you, God, that you live in our lives now. Your Holy Spirit leads and guides us as we continue to put our trust in you. Oh, God, there is only a God like you who would not withhold any good thing from us so that we can know you. God, we give you praise and we give you thanks. And right now, God, we would say, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Would you guide us? Would you lead us? God, would you, uh, again, lead us through our lives so that we can continue to become more and more like you every day? victorious, overcoming sin, loving generously and lavishly, God, caring for those that don't have as much as us and, God, those that would take your gospel into all the world so that all the world might know that you love them. God, we thank you. Thank you for this moment today to worship you with your people together. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the uh, great things that we as a church love to do is, is share God's word and take it all throughout the world. We've just recently have you know, five people that are, are ready to go to Malawi on a short-term mission trip and are preparing for that. But we're excited today because we've got some real live missionaries from Russia here today with us. So why don't you uh, put your hands together and welcome Sonia and Cam Gibbons, come, come up. Honey, could I just have that microphone? Oh, great. Thanks. Now, they're newly married. You can still tell by the <laughs> smiles on their faces. Um, and Cam actually was up here at Wodonga. Ten years ago now. Ten years ago. Yeah, it was when I first walked through the door. And he studied, he was studying here, and for the time that you were studying here, this was your church. That's right, yeah. That's right. Now, I want to just ask you, what are you guys doing in Russia? What, what are you doing there? Well, we're uh, working with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators across Russia and Central Asia. Um, we So there's a lot more to the picture than just Bible, uh, just translating the Bible. Great. Wow. So Bible translation sounds pretty heavy and everything. Why is Bible translation important? Well, we believe that there is an incredible power in the Word of God. Mm. We 
believe that every culture, every people group, every nation deserves to have the Word of God in their own language. Um, and in our organization, we have something called the Heart Language. And up until now, bringing an English Bible into somebody else's culture and forcing them to read it in our language doesn't really connect with them. It's not their heart language. So, um, and we also believe that it is the best missionary of all because we're working in places of the world that there's a lot of opposition to Christians. And if there's ever a reason that Cam and I should leave or any other missionary should leave, that we can leave the word of God with them and they can continue to study. Mm. That's fantastic, isn't it? What a great thing to give your lives to. Uh, what does the future look like? Uh, obviously, you're not Russian by the sound no. of it. <laughs> We're expecting a real strong answer there. But you're from... America. America, yeah, great. Well, we actually don't know 100% what the future is. We know that we're leaving Russia in 18 months to take on something new. Um, and so what we're actually doing is looking for people to come and take positions or just to find out more about um, what God's doing in the world of missions and Russia and that. So if you want to come along tomorrow night, I think it's 7.30. 7.30, yeah. Um, yeah, feel free to hear more about what we're, we're, uh, what we're doing, what God's been doing in our lives. Uh, I was in university here 10 years ago, and God's just transformed that into saying, um, go into the corporate world and then come out of the corporate world into missions, um, and just, he's been able to do that. And so if you're wanting to find out how he does that, um, or just what God's doing in the world of missions, um, feel free to come along, that'd be great. Great, great. Why don't we just pray for you guys now. God, we want to thank you for Cam and for Sonia, and God, we thank you for all that you have used them so far in, in supporting the work of Bible translators. God, we thank you for their uh, heart for Russia and the way that you have been using them. And we pray that you'll continue to use them. And God, we do pray that you would raise up other people to go to the work there and other people who will help support the work of Bible translators too. God, we pray for tomorrow night that many of us would be challenged and would uh, understand more about the work that's going on in Russia. And God, we pray that this would be something that we could continue to commit to prayer and support in whatever ways you're leading us, God. Thank you, God, for Cam and for Sonia. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please take your seats. Well, we're going to continue uh, to worship God now as uh, Mandy leads us. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, I, I just don't know how there are people that can live their lives knowing Jesus and not want to share it with other people. Um, what we've experienced this morning is we've reflected on his death and resurrection and sung songs like that. I don't know about you, but I just burst wanting to share it with people. And yet there are so many, um, you know, so many people, so many churches that never uh, really seriously try and share uh, the gospel with other people. And this Friday, Good Friday, you'll be asked just to come and bring a, an offering and the offering will go um, to the Good Friday um, a collection for Crossover Australia. And what Crossover Australia do is they help equip churches to reach people with the gospel. One of the ways they help us is we regularly at Easter time send out invitations to the whole of Wodonga and we use their materials, they discount the printing so that we can invite the whole city to our church so that they can come to hear the hope of Jesus. They help us in many other ways. So if you can just be thinking about what you can bring um, this Friday, every bit of our offering that is collected on Friday will go to Crossover Australia. If you've been 
reading through your um, journals and reading through the Bible in a year, you would have noticed that yesterday we were up to the book of Ruth. And so we read the whole book of Ruth right through yesterday. So you're all prepared for this morning. So we don't need a Bible reading. No, I'm only kidding. But if you do have Ruth, the book of Ruth open, we'll go through uh, verse bit, bit by bit and I'll read it to you as we get to the different chapters. If you've got that ready in front of you, we'll read through from chapter four and we'll take it through bit by bit. Uh, I wonder if you've ever been wanting to get to a, a place or a, or a destination and you've actually found that there's been some problems in getting there and it's been frustrated and it's made you think that you might not even make that important destination that you were trying to get. Uh, I, I know if that's ever happened to you, it will cause great anxiety when there are roadblocks or stoppages in the way. I, when I think about this, I come, what comes to mind is my VCE exam. And I can remember uh, having a VCE exam uh, ready. Uh, this was in uh, 1987 when I was uh, doing my VCE. And I remember uh, getting my licence just a little bit before. And so I had my P plates and I had an old Mazda um, 909 or something, a real old car. And I was driving that and some people said, hey, why don't you pick us up? Why don't you come and pick us up and take us to the exam? Now, this exam was going to determine my, the rest of my life. You know, the scores that I got on VCE, doesn't that determine your life? And I was very nervous and was cramming and everything and then got up, got in my car in my, with my P-plates on and drove and got to uh, Vermont. I was going to Vermont High and got to a big intersection right in the middle of um, Vermont and a car rolled right into the back of me. And uh, I, I uh, had already picked up the first guy by this stage and uh, he looked at me and said, uh, were you rolling backwards? And I said, no, I wasn't. You know I wasn't. But we were at a red light and the guy had, had rolled forward in the back of me and I thought, oh, so we had to keep going. And I got to another red light and it was still cold in the morning and it was still, you know, the car wasn't going off so quick. So I was just new driver and as I took off, the car, uh, the car sort of jumped and stopped and the car in the back again, smashed me again. <laughs> this is a different car, different intersection, but straight into the back again. And I went and I picked up the second person and we were, you know, laughing and saying, we better get going, we've got our VCE exam and uh, I've already had two accidents, so... Get in if you dare, you know. <laughs> and so he got in and we were driving along. And uh, first two, completely my fault. But I came to a T-intersection. Uh, no, completely not my fault, but completely other people. I was stationary, you know, and they sort of bumped into me. But when I got to this T-intersection, this person came this way. I didn't see her indicating, but she said she was. And she came across as I thought she would have already gone, and I clipped the back of her again. So for those of you that are counting, that's three accidents even before I get to my VCE exam. I remember when I got home and told my mum, she picked up my P place and she said, you're never driving my car again, and she threw them. And uh, I'd like to say that I haven't had an accident since, but I can't. <laughs> But I don't know about you, if you've ever been wanting to get to a destination, especially one that is so important that your future depends on it, 
you will know the frustration of roadblocks or detours or bumps in the road or accidents that happen on the way that stop you from getting there. And the more and more important the place where you're going to is, the more the frustration you will experience. I don't know if, if you have experienced or felt this, if we've read the book of Ruth and we've seen that God has been working but in the most difficult of circumstances. Uh, there's been times when Naomi, who was faced with grief after losing her husband and her two sons and just left with her daughters-in-law and coming back home feeling completely empty on the road, God is at work even in the midst of her feeling like there's roadblocks and stops in the destination. And God uh, provides for her Ruth. So Naomi coming back and Ruth says, I will go. I will go with you. I will go with you, Naomi. I'll go with your God. I'll go to your land. I'll stick with your people. I will even never leave you. I'll even die with you. And we see that in the midst of a roadblock to her Naomi uh, doing all that God was calling her to, God sovereignly provides even in providing Ruth there for her. And in chapters 2, we see Ruth and Naomi. And remember, Naomi was saying, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter because I've gone away full to Moab and I've come back empty. And while Naomi's feeling like this, Ruth in the midst of this roadblock, in the midst of this setback, in the midst of this accident in life, just says, well, I can't do much, but I'll do what I need to do. And she says, I will go. I will go gleaning out in the fields. I'll even do the lowest of low jobs if that's what's before me, because I'm going to trust in God no matter what. And even if I find my life in difficult circumstances, I will glean. Even if there are men out there and it's a danger, God, I'm going to go trusting in you. And so she went out trusting in God, no matter what happened. And then in Ruth 3, uh, chapter 3, uh, we see that she places herself obediently following uh, Naomi's instructions at the feet of Boaz, a near kinsman. And she places him, uh, she sits at his feet at his mercy. She sits in a position of vulnerability where, where she, she needs to place her trust in him. And she does what, she's right, what is right, honouring her mother-in-law and doing what she's told. But right when we thought that there was going to be a real happy ending, when she says, you know, Boaz, cover me with your garment. Redeem me. Will you, will you, take, will you let me uh, be your wife? When we think it's all going to end beautifully and everything's great and a happy ending, he says, well, I'd love to, but there's someone who's a nearer redeemer than, than me. And uh, I can't actually redeem you unless I give them the right. It's just the right thing to do. And so another roadblock comes and we think, oh, God, God, what's going to happen? You know, people are dying. Uh, we're in desperate spots and it seems like, bang, another accident on the road to these people knowing God's blessing and his fullness in their life. And, and we're sitting at the start of the end of chapter 3 and the start of Ruth chapter 4. 
And we're, we're kind of thinking, uh, what's going to happen? I think we've noticed that in these people, as they continue to look to God, as Ruth continues to look to God, he's providing for her behind the scenes in sovereign ways. He's honouring her faithfulness. He's honouring the fact that she's not taking her eyes off him. And then we see in Boaz, we see a man of of great character. We saw that last week. We saw it the week before. He's a kind of man who's got a strong sense of decency. He's a hospitable man. He's a man whose concerns for God's law are obvious and he wants to do what's right before God. And he cares that his name is honoured in the land. He is a man who Naomi knew would not rest until the matter of uh, whether he will redeem Naomi and Ruth was settled. And so at the end of chapter 3, we see uh, Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And here in chapter 4, we see Boaz following through. Boaz um, acquires is following through on that promise. You know, I just want to let you know that life doesn't always turn out as it seems it would. Uh, Things don't always go just the way we plan them. In fact, sometimes we put our trust in God wholeheartedly and we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. Sometimes it feels like we put our trust in him and things don't always get better. Sometimes they get worse. If we just look at our circumstances, it seems like we're on a journey to be filled and and receive all that God wants for us. But there's accidents, there's detours, there's uphills and winding roads all along the way. But I just want to tell you that the life of a godly person, the life of a godly person is not, free from potholes, but it's one that leads to glory. It's one that will lead ultimately to glory, to God's glory. And here in chapter 4, Boaz is following through. He's finding himself at a situation where there's someone closer and he goes through now to see if he can, if if the nearer kinsman will redeem Naomi and Ruth, or whether he will be able to. His love for them was one that went beyond the law. And he begins in verses 1 to 6. Let's read from there. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Uh, I want you to notice the town gate. That was where people would travel in and out of the city. People would come and go through the town gate. And it was there where business transactions were um, carried out. It was where the judges and the officials would be found. This was a, a real gathering place. And the Bible says that Boaz sat there and as he was sitting there, the, the nearer kingsman that was mentioned in chapter 3 comes along. And we're supposed to notice that and think, Wow, that's a coincidence. He's sitting there and yet along comes this guy and behind the scenes we see that God is sovereignly working his purposes out in his people. He's been working there. Note that the kinsman redeemer's name is not mentioned. You know, the, the author's trying to not you know, make him look so bad and so he, he doesn't mention his name. 
He's careful not to you know, reveal his identity. And verse 2 says, Boaz then, Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. This was a full court, a court of legal proceedings, and we're about to observe that a transaction is going to take place. So Boaz gets the near kinsmen, gets the 10, uh, 10 people to come around, the elders of the town. And then in verse 3 we read what, what happens. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought that I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. Now, I want you to know that on the road to, uh, to having all that God has called us to, the road to glory, the road to God transforming us and giving us all the things that he promises us, sometimes there are things that will be roadblocks that are sin, you know. Uh, things go wrong and, you know, uh, our, our sinfulness can, can be a roadblock or a turn on the way. But sometimes it can actually be our righteousness, our desire to do good. And here we see that, that Boaz realises that, I suppose, that he, he must go and talk to this nearer kinsman because it's the right thing to do. He needs to give him the right to redeem this first before he does. And here it shows that Boaz, even in a position where he can use things to his advantage, where he can jump ahead and, and redeem uh, Naomi and Ruth first, he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to compromise on doing what is godly and what is right, even though he, he's, his heart is growing for Ruth and he wants to redeem her. Can you see that? I mean, often we think that if God wants us to have something, it won't matter if we just uh, you know, do some things ourselves to have it. You know, take a shortcut uh, off the road that God's led us on. You know, I, I think... So much of what um, you know, th- this must have been like for Abraham, you know, uh, to offer up his son Isaac. And they had been without child for so long, Abraham and Sarah. And I, I think you know, as he lifted up, uh, as God said, I want you to take that very son who is the one who I've promised that you'll be the father of many, and I want you to put him on the altar and kill him. You know, I think if I was Abraham, I would have said, God, I'm just thinking I'm not hearing from you right today, you know. Let's forget this. You can't possibly be asking me to put to death the child who was part of the promise that you promised me on that night. I, I'm just not hearing. I'm having a bad day. But he didn't. He said, God, I'm going to obey you even if it looks like even the promise is going to be taken from me. And he lifts up the knife to kill his own son, the promise. And God says, it's all right, Abraham. Now I know that you'll really obey me. And sometimes God puts some really good things in our paths or some things that we think we could switch on. Like, you know, oh boy, if I don't declare this part in my tax, which is right to do, I could get a real big windfall and go on a mission trip, you know. No way. We won't cut corners. We want to live for God no matter what. And we don't want to go down shortcuts our own way, even if it will disadvantage us as, as Christians. We say, God, our trust is in you and we won't manipulate things. 
And Boaz, he's a man of integrity and uprightness. And he goes to this, this nearer kinsman. And he says, you know, will you do this? Now, Naomi was um, selling the land and the inheritance that was hers from when Elimelech had died. And Boaz is saying that if she doesn't, uh, that that if she does this, if she sells this land, then her husband's estate will be sold and it will go outside the family and the name of Elimelech would be in danger of being forgotten. And to our dismay, look look what the kinsman says. He says, I will redeem it. And all of us who are watching the story go, no, no. Oh, disaster. We don't want him to redeem it. And we want Boaz to redeem it. And so here again is another smash in the story, another, another road crash, you know, right on the way to glory that always was going to happen. And the most annoying thing is that the guy's doing the right thing. He's saying, I will fulfill my part in the bargain. I will redeem that which is mine. I will do what's right. And, you know, again, sometimes our you know, setbacks in life are because we're doing the right thing. And this guy was doing the right thing. And it was going to be a block. You know, um, just when we're about to, to, to shout out, no, don't do it. Verse 5, then Boaz says, by the way, (laughs) just want to let you know something. On the day that you buy the land from Naomi and Ruth, and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, verse 6 says, the kingsman redeemer said, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself for I cannot do it. Now, here what's happening is um, the Leverate uh, law uh, back in Leviticus said that if a man was married to a woman and the husband husband died without leaving an heir, then the man's brother was to marry the the wife and to provide a child. And the child then would take on the name of this family and continue their line. So it wouldn't be the end of the line for those people there. And that was, that was the kind of law. And because this is the closest, uh, nearest redeemer, this is, seems what to be happening. Not only is the landed issue here, now Boaz pulls out, oh, by the way, not only that, you're going to have to take Ruth as well. And if she does have a son, then the land sort of goes back in the name of Elimelech and his name's carried on. And, you know, it might actually... It might, might not be as good f- for you, he's thinking now, the nearer kinsman. And perhaps he's already married and perhaps he realises that if he marries uh, Ruth that he, he will be disadvantaged, not advantaged. And whatever the reason, he says, uh, I cannot redeem it. I might endanger my own thing. And we all go, hooray, Great. That's exactly right. And then verse 7 tells us about an interesting custom that seemed to have died out just about the time when Ruth was being written. And it says, Now in earlier times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and it was a method of legalising transactions in Israel. And verse 8, So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. 
And then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. So right there in this legal gathering, you know, the sandals given over and then Boaz makes this big declaration. I'm acquiring all of, all of this. This is what's happening. And verse 11 says the elders and all those at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. And may you have standing in Epaphratha and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. And may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Uh, Boaz makes this public declaration that he has redeemed the land. And now Ruth is his wife. And now he's, he's taking her on to redeem and maintain the name of the dead. But you know what? There's one problem to the story, another smash. And what had happened is if you remember when Ruth was married to Marlon back in the land of Moab, they were 10 years married. And what happened? No, no children. Was she barren? Like what will happen now? Uh, even though uh, this must have been sort of caught up in the prayers of the women, you know, who are saying, this is what our prayer is. This is what our blessing is. The, the elders and all those at the gate, as they said, we're witnesses and may the Lord make the woman, you know, someone who will be a great mother in God's home. That many people will come from her. That the offspring that the Lord gives by this young woman may be that like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. You know, another roadblock. How often we get roadblocks. And time for us around the corner, we think things are going right again. We think God's finally brought us into that place where all the stories can end and everything's right. But another thing bumps up. It's a good time to remember again that the life of a godly person is not free from potholes. It's not free from windy roads or hills, but it's one that in the end always leads to glory. Always leads to glory. So verse 13 goes on. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her which just means they made love. And the Lord enabled her to conceive. And the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. What an answer to prayer. Uh, right through the book of Ruth, God has been at work behind the scenes. At each turn in the road, when there's been a roadblock or there's been something that has happened, there's been characters that have shown their continued love and faithfulness in the midst of roadblocks. You'll know uh, how Ruth showed that devotion in, in chapter one. In spite of it all, she, she, she stuck 
with Naomi. Naomi uh, obediently, though empty, came back doing what she, she just knew was the logical thing for God to lead her to do. So she came back as well. And Ruth continues to follow obediently and doing all that she can, showing her undying love for her God and for Naomi, sticking with her and she gleans. And we see all through Boaz also as a man who's a, a godly man, who's righteous, who's loving, who's caring for those that are in destitute circumstances. And right through behind the scene, God is working in their lives as they are faithful. And right through their roadblocks and right through the ups and downs, God is continuing to work. But notice verse 14. The, from verse 14 to verse 17, the focus is not so much on Ruth. It's not on Boaz, it's on Naomi and the child. Look what it says, verse 14 onwards. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your own age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has has given birth, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. Now why the father of David? Now why would you think that the focus would go on to Naomi? It was to show that I think what Naomi had said was not true. Remember she came back and in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 21, you remember that she said, you know, um, that she said right at, at the back, she said that the Lord had brought her back from Moab empty. This was in, in chapter 1 verse 21. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty brought misfortune upon me. And this was showing now at the end of the book, resolution is saying, you know, God was not, uh, she was not empty. She was not one who was desolate. She had Ruth and she had her trust and her faith and God was making things right for her. And if we could learn from that, if you and I could just learn that just because we're facing terrible circumstances doesn't mean that God is against you and doesn't mean that you should give up and that you should forget the destination. You know, if I'd sat there and said, hey, three accidents in one day, I'm not even going to set my VCE exam. You know, it might have been bad, but imagine for you, if you say one more blow of of illness for me, one more time when I don't feel God has answered the prayer in the way I wanted it, One more time when Jesus hasn't been the kind of saviour that I've been hoping that he would do that would fix all my problems and you say, I walk away. And yet we can know that God's working right in the midst of all the things that we're facing and he's leading us to the destination which is the continuing growing in his goodness and his glory to the point where one day we will be full and not empty. Naomi was empty. But here at the end, it was showing that God was with her, restoring her, making her full. The whole book of Ruth is written with signposts for us right through that the grace of God is at work in our lives if we would trust him in the midst of the crashes. 
we would trust him in the midst of the side turns, if we would trust him in the midst of the hurts that we receive, the illnesses that strike us, the, the things that break right on days when we're in a real hurry, the times when the kids are upset right when we just wanted them to be great, the times when we feel like the money runs out just when we'd been praying that it wouldn't. God's at work if we'll keep faithful and look to him right through those times. He gave Naomi Ruth, he gave Ruth Boaz and he gave them a son. That would just make a perfect ending to the story, don't you think, Ruth? If it was just about, you know, Naomi who was empty, full, went empty, came back, you know, in the end they had a little son and, and Naomi sort of looked and cuddled the little son. That would be a good ending to the story, but it wouldn't be all. Because verse 18, 19 and 20 and 22 just show us a much bigger picture of what God was doing. This then, it says in verse 18, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Do you know, uh, sometimes when we look, we might look at a, at a, at a picture and we might see the wood around the frame and then when we stop our focus to realise, we look and we think, actually, this is not uh, the wood around a frame, it's a window. And outside the window, we see the grassy hills through the window. Wow, it's a beautiful grassy hills outside that we see. And then when we look beyond the grassy hills, we look into the sky and see the heavens behind. And we realise that it wasn't just a, a wooden frame that we were looking at, but it was so much more and there was so much more behind and we look right up through and we see right off in the distance the incredible things that we would have missed if we just focused on the frame. And the book of Ruth is like that. The book of Ruth is saying this isn't just a story about a woman who gets a child and, and the, the line continues on. No, he lifts our eyes from the, 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 the wood from the frame right to the mountain behind, right through to the skies behind, the writer does at the end. Because in, in verse uh, 17, it's saying that, that Obed was the father of Jesse and Jesse was the father of David. And all of a sudden we realise that something far greater has been going on than we could ever imagine. God is not only plotting for the temporal blessings of a few Jews in Bethlehem, he was preparing for the greatest king that Israel would ever have, David. And the name David carries with it the hope of a Messiah, the coming Messiah, a new age that will come, that the writers foretold and prophesied and looked towards, a, a, a time of peace, of righteousness, of freedom from pain, of freedom from crying, of freedom from guilt, of freedom from grief. And this simple story here in Ruth opens out like a stream to a flood, a flood of grace of what God is doing. Because right through... This little boy, Obed, would become the grandfather of David, who would become the one through whose line would become Jesus. 
our saviour, the one who God had sent to save us from our sins and redeem us. Do you know what? I think as Christians, we often get so caught up in the triviality of today. And we look and we say, oh, things aren't working out the way I planned. You know, things aren't going well. This broke again or this other smash happened. And we say, but if only we would look through the wood, through to the hills, right out to the future into heaven and see that God is actually using all the detours and roadblocks right now to lead you to a way where you will know his fullness and his blessing and his glory. He's shaping you. He's shaping you. And one day, one day, as we continue our journey, we'll reach the destination through faith in Jesus Christ and we'll leave this world and we'll go to be with our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. And we'll be full. We'll be overflowing with richness and fullness. So today, as you go and you face your temporary and sometimes trivial things, as you say, God, what are you doing? Remember that God is working in your life if you will stop to see And he's leading you to his glory. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you that right in the midst of our tough times, in the midst of struggles and in the midst of our challenges, that you reach out to us, that you provide ways through. Oh God, that you provide Uh, friends and helpers along the way, that you provide signs of your sovereign grace at work. And God, if we could just see what you're creating in our lives, the hope for eternity, the hope for a life that's yielded and surrendered to you daily, we would just be amazed. God, help us to live as people of faith in spite of our circumstances. Help us to live like Ruth and Boaz and God, would you, would you be working in our lives so that every day we're looking to you, God, with our total allegiance? Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you that as we put our trust in you, we know that one day we will stand before you, receiving all that you have promised in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, we'd just love you to take...